get your Bible out and uh, let's do what we do. Open up your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be landing this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just kind of lead off with a question. You don't have to answer out loud, all right? Just think about it in your mind. Have you ever quit a job? You ever quit a job? You ever said, man, just I'm done with this. I'm walking off. I'm not taking this anymore. I'm out right? Now, if you have, you ever quit a job, think about why you quit that job. Uh, I, I was reading an article this week in the Harvard Business Review. This was put out last year, June of last year, and it really kind of speaks to this topic. It said, according to the U.S. Department of Labor, a staggering 4.4 million people quit their jobs this April. You might assume people are leaving because they want more money or better benefits, but you'd be wrong. A recent Sloan Management Review study indicated people are, get this, 10 times more likely to quit their jobs today because of toxic work culture rather than subpar compensation or work-life balance. Now, if you quit a job at one point, Maybe it was because of this. Maybe it was because of, you know, what was going on in the company or how your boss was treating you or you just didn't feel appreciated there. In fact, I had a conversation this, this morning with somebody who said, yeah, I work here, but I really don't like how it's going in my company, but I'm just kind of enduring it right now. Uh, Ten times more likely to quit because of the culture within the organization. Now think about why countries fail. Why do companies fail? Why do... Uh, why do teams implode? Why do bands break up? Why do marriages dissolve? Usually it's not because of pressure on the outside. Most of the time, it's problems on the inside. And that's not only true in those aspects, but it's, it's really sad and often true in churches. I was talking with a man this week who has ministered in this area uh, for many, many years and has been very much aware of churches, thriving churches in our area. And he said, Craig, there are many churches that 50 years ago were thriving that are now on the very verge of closing their doors in our communities. And he said, if you go back and you just study the history, you can go back to an issue that caused division, and it was downhill from there. You know, this happens all the time. Listen, if you were Satan for a day, I know that's kind of weird to think about, but just you know, run with me here for just a minute. If you were Satan for a day and you wanted to stop the church of Jesus Christ, you wanted to stop the movement of God around the world, how would you do it? I mean, you can't cause more resistance because the Christians just keep praying. You can't withhold resources because they'll just ask God to provide their resources. Even persecution, they just keep enduring and pressing on. How would you stop the movement of God? Well, you, you would stop by causing division inside. Corruption inside. You would, you would cause them to start fighting against one another and that would bring the church to a stop. Well, we see it happening today and that's not anything new because that's exactly what was happening to the church in Corinth and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today. In fact, I want you to get your Bible, look at it with me, chapter 1 uh, beginning at verse 10. And uh, this is the word of God, amen? Uh, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no division 
among you and that you be united with all, with the same understanding and the same conviction. Now, what you do, circle the two words, be united there in verse 10. That, that really is the big idea, the driving a thought, the thesis statement, not only for the first four chapters, but really for the whole book. It, it, this is a very divided church. And the Apostle Paul is writing to them and the first issue he's going to tackle straight on and it's actually going to take him several chapters to do it is to deal with division in uh, the church. Listen, now more than ever, we need to understand how we can be united as a church. Today, I'm not talking about uh, cross-denominational unity. I'm not talking about that. Today, I'm talking about just unity in our church. Unity in the local church. The Apostle Paul is writing to a local church about unity in their church. So that's the immediate context in which we're going to apply this today. And we need it now more than ever before. Back in 2020, remember pandemic was at a height, a lot of division, a lot of polarizing uh, things happening in our culture. And life we researched asked pastors what was the number one concern that they had during that time period. And what you'll notice in this graph that we're going to put up here is that it was not finances. It was not the safety of their church members. It wasn't even the fact of trying to get church members to come back to church that was their primary concern. Their number one concern was unity within their church body. How do we take this polarizing environment in our world and how do we, when we gather together, find unity and oneness? Um, that's the same today. This, this polarizing culture is not going to go away anytime soon. So how do we find unity? How do we foster? How do we cultivate unity within the church? You know, Jesus prayed for this. On the night before Christ was crucified, he prayed for you and for me. In John 17, 21, he said, may they all be one as you father are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Jesus prayed for unity and oneness in the church. Now, let me just say a few words here about unity. Unity is not uniformity. In other words, that doesn't mean that we all have to look alike. We all have to uh, agree together. I mean, we have, we have uh, Aggies and UT people all together at the foot of the cross. Uh, you know, we, we accept all that. Uh, we don't have to always agree on everything. Some of you do, don't agree on eschatology or end times. Some of you don't agree on certain gifts of the Spirit. We may not agree on certain areas of application. But, but yet, in the essentials, we're going to have agreement. So it's not uniformity, but we do have unity around the essentials. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Uh, also, unity is, is um, well, it's not the absence of conflict. You're going to have conflict. Uh, disunity is not the same as having conflict. You have conflict all the time. Anytime you get people together, you're going to have conflict. But it's the, the fact that you work through the conflict and you get to a place of agreement and forgiveness and moving forward. Unity is not easy. 
it is, uh, it takes work. It takes, it takes the diligence to go face to face. It, it takes the diligence to speak and, and share our hurts and our hearts and, and then to get to a place of agreement and get to a place of forgiveness and, and deference and, and to move forward as one. And, and quite frankly, we're not very good at this. Can I just say, we're not really very good at that. We, we tend to want to avoid conflict. We tend to rather go to somebody else instead of go to the person that's hurt us and work through it. We just don't do that very well. And what that causes is ultimately disunity within the church. But unity is vital. It's vital. And listen, there's nothing that I think grieves the heart of God more than when Christians are not acting very Christ-like and we harbor resentment and we stir up disunity and we, we, we speak hateful words and, and, and that kind of thing to one another. I think that grieves the heart of God. But on the other hand, I think nothing blesses the heart of God more than when he sees uh, brothers and sisters in Christ really doing the work of unity and, and caring for one another and working through challenges and coming through on the other side in uh, locked arms and unity. I think that blesses the heart of God. And it's a great witness to the world. I had a friend of mine tell me a story about this mechanic that he uses. And uh, a lady from our church, a single, um, uh, single lady in our church, took her car to this mechanic to get some work done. And there was another family in our church that also was using the same mechanic. And when they were, the family was paying out, they realized that the single lady was also getting her car worked on. And they said, well, what's her bill? And they said, we'll just pay her bill too. And so when she showed up, he goes, your bill's paid for. And she was, of course, just overwhelmed and, and just so thankful. And, and so this mechanic came to my friend and he said, why would they do that? Why would they pay her bill? That doesn't make any sense to me. And my friend was saying, it's because of Christian community. We love each other. We care for each other. And we're just really working hard to love each other well. And sometimes that's in really tangible ways, like paying this bill. You see, the world is peering into us. The, the world outside is crazy, man. It's just so polarized, so divided, so hostile, so tribal. And yet the world is peering into the church to say, is it possible that in there we could find unity and love? Is it possible in there? And it really grieves, grieves the heart of God when they peer in in hopes that maybe we'll find it in the church and we see the same thing in the church that's in the world. And so Paul is writing to this church that is divided. What, what caused this church to be so divided? Well, we see it in verse 11. Look at it. He said, for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people that there is rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this, one of you says, I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Now stop right there uh, for just a minute. Uh, they are basically taking sides, all right? One, one group says, well, I'm team Paul. Paul was the one who planted the church. Paul was a theolog uh, theologian of the church. They're like, well, I'm, we're rallying around Paul. We love Paul. Others are like, no, 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 I'm all about Apollos. Apollos followed the apostle Paul at the church in Corinth. He was an incredible communicator. He was a great orator. The church grew under him. They were like, man, we're really all about Apollos. We think he's, he's all, that's, uh, all that's that. And then other people, well, I'm all about Cephas. We're Team Cephas, which is really another name for Peter. He's one of the 12. He's one of the pillars of the early church. We're all about him. And then there was another faction that said, well, we're all about Christ. 
You know, we're super spiritual, right? We're, we're all about Christ. But even they were doing it in a way that was divisive, right? And so they got all this competition. Now, we're used to this in a political arena in our country. We're used to bumper stickers for this group and bumper sticker for that group. And we're all about that one. Fly the flag for this one. We're all about that in, a, in, our, in our culture. But man, when that gets into a church, that can be very divisive and very unhealthy, so Paul is going to take this as an occasion to teach us about Christian unity and how do we get to it and how do we foster it and how do we grow it and by the way, how do we protect it, okay? So I want to give you a couple of thoughts here right out of what Paul writes. So jot, this, jot these uh, three things down. Here's the first one, jot it down. Uh, never prioritize your preferences over the gospel. Never prioritize your preferences over the gospel. Look at verse 13. He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one uh, can, can, no one can say you were baptized in my name. I, I did in fact baptize the household of Stephanus. Uh, beyond that I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its effect. Paul starts off with these boom, 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 three rapid fire questions. Uh, let's see if you get these questions right, all right? This is the audience participation part of the talk. All right, here we go. Uh, is Jesus splintered and divided? Somebody tell me. No, no, he's not divided. Jesus isn't splintered and divided. So you as followers of Jesus should not be splintered and divided. That's what he's saying. Did Paul die for any of you? No, no, Paul didn't die. Christ died. Did Paul, uh, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Were these people today baptized in the name of the Apostle Paul? Somebody tell me. No, no, you weren't baptized in the name of Paul. Apparently in the Corinthian church is a big deal. Well, I was baptized by Paul. Well, I was baptized by Apollos. Well, I, you know. And they're like, man, Paul's a good man. It's not about who baptized you. It's about who saved you. It's all about Jesus. Your loyalty is to Jesus. It's not to these individual people. And by the way, let me just say, I think you get in really trouble when you start attaching your loyalty to individual pastors or teachers or, or worship leaders or, or just any individual other than Jesus Christ. People are going to disappoint you, all right? People are going to disappoint you. Uh, Jesus will never disappoint you. Our loyalty is to Christ. He died for us. We're baptized in his name. And so he said, we got to get back to the unity of the gospel. What centers, what keeps us centered and, and united is the, the centrality of the gospel. In 1627, a Lutheran pastor named Robertus uh, Meldenius published a Christian track on Christian unity. And this little track or this little pamphlet uh, included a quote that has often been attributed to St. Augustine. And the quote, you probably heard it before, but it says this, in essence, unity, or in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Now, I think this is a really good guideline for us. Uh, if they're non-essentials, we should have, you know, all freedom, right? In all things, we should be gracious and charitable. But don't forget the first line, in essentials, 
there must be unity. We really can't have unity just around unity itself. You can't say, we're all united about being united. Well, that's not going to work. Uh, we're united around some essentials. So what are the essentials? What Paul is referring to here is the primacy of the gospel. He said we must be unified around the gospel. My unity is with those who understand and embrace the gospel. You say, well, what is that? Well, that there is one God who revealed himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That we have sinned against that God. We have gone our own way and the wrath of God is on us because of our sin. But Christ came to us. He came from heaven, born of a virgin, the God-man. That he came and died on the cross as a propitiation or a, a payment for your sin. He died in your place, what we call a substitutionary atoning death for our sin. He was buried. He rose again physically on the third day. He ascended to the heaven. He's coming again uh, to rule and to reign. And those who are saved are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, folks, that is, the, that is the centerpiece of the gospel. If we can't agree on that, we can't have unity. But in that gospel, we, we have great unity. And we have to always elevate the, the primacy of the gospel, the importance of the gospel above everything else, including our own preferences. In fact, that's what Paul is saying in verse 17. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I love it when Paul goes, I didn't baptize anybody except these two guys. And then, oh yeah, well then, and this one, I can't remember if there's anybody else that I baptized. That, that gives me a lot of comfort when I can't find my car keys, you know. Even the Apostle Paul couldn't remember everything, you know. Uh, but, but, but what he's saying is that my, my, my priority was not in baptism. My priority is in the gospel. In fact, if you look down at verse 23, he said, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Folks, this is why we exist as a church. We exist to hold the gospel. We exist to preach the gospel. We, we are stewards of the gospel. We are heralds of the gospel. We are obligated to share the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And, and this church, is, its primary goal is to elevate Jesus and elevate the gospel above any individual preference. That's really, really, really critical. And churches that have, have elevated their preferences over the gospel are the churches that are dying. The churches that have forgotten why they exist in the first place. I remember back in 2020 when uh, uh, we weren't even for a period of time even meeting together. And, and there was a question, what do we do? And there was, all, like I said, a lot of, lot of things stirring in the culture, a lot of division in the culture. And we decided we were going to just elevate Jesus and, and, and focus on the gospel and not on all kinds of wedge issues. And so we gathered in parking lots of, of football stadiums and we worshiped Jesus and we went to hospitals and we prayed and we went to schools and we prayed and we, we sought to feed the poor and get the gospel out. And, and I saw you rally around the centrality of the gospel. And listen, when so many churches were splintered and divided, we were united because we were united around the importance and the primacy of the gospel. 
And God used you in a powerful way. Let me just say this as your pastor who loves you. That must always be the case. Our preferences must never eclipse the primary, uh, the primal, uh, the priority of the gospel. It must never eclipse the priority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I guess you could say it this way. Uh, focus on preferences and be divided. Focus on Jesus and be united. All right? That's what Paul is saying here. So never prioritize your preferences over the gospel. Here's a second thought I want you to jot down. Never elevate yourself over others. Never elevate yourself over others. Look at verse uh, 26. He said, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing. What is viewed as something so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul is saying here, never elevate yourself over others. He's basically was saying, you know, this whole idea, well, I'm Apollos, I'm Apollos, I'm all these, all these groups that were popping up in the church, all these divisions. He said, really, the fruit was division, but the root was pride. Well, I'm better than you. Well, I'm better than you. Well, I was baptized by this guy. Well, I was baptized by this guy. I like this. Well, I like that. I believe this. I believe that. You know, it, 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 the root of the division was really this kind of attitude of pride. That you're trying to elevate yourself over somebody else. And that's just creating all these fractures within the church body. Now, so we, in verse 26, he, he addresses this. Look at what he says in verse 26. Consider your calling. He, Paul's going Paul's gonna to get after him here a little bit, all right? So let me just, let me just say, we say this in Texas. Uh, he's about to get in their chili, all right? He's about to get in their chili a little bit. And he's like, okay, so you're trying to elevate yourself. Okay, so let's just, let me just kind of get this straight here. Let's remember what you were like when you gave your life to Christ. Not many of you were, look at it, wise. Now, there weren't a whole lot of PhDs around you guys, as I recall. Uh, not many of you were powerful. Not a, lot, a whole lot of CEOs uh, in, in your group. Uh, not many of you were noble. In other words, not a lot of you were from an elite or privileged class. In fact, as I recall, most of you were considered in the world's eyes to be insignificant, he said. In fact, look at verse 27 and 28. Foolish, weak, and insignificant. Wow. I mean, he's like, all right, gloves are off. He's like, that's, that's how the world saw you. Like weak and insignificant, nothing. And yet God chose you. He says it multiple times. God chose you. God chose you. And man, in, in the gospel, God chose you. And he saved you. And then he elevated you and made you a part of God's family. And now you're, you're, you're part of the bride of Christ. You, you're a part of, of God's family because God chose you. Remember what you were like? And God elevated you into his family. So why are you strutting around like, like you're all that? 
And by the way, if you were a PhD or you were a CEO or you were somebody of noble birth, you, you had to humble yourself and acknowledge your sin and realize that you cannot save yourself and come humbly to the Lord Jesus. So God, God humbles those who are, are prideful and God elevates the humble. And, and so really, there's an old saying that says the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's really true. There's nobody better than another that, listen, you have no reason to think that you're better uh, than somebody else. God chose you. Why? Verse 29, so that no one can boast. No one can boast. You can't strut and follow Jesus. All right? You can't strut and follow Jesus. You can't say, well, I, I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than so-and-so. This is my way. Or I deserve this. Or I was here earlier. Or this is my church. And this is the way it's going to be. And, and, and I'm going to draw the line. You, can, you can't do that. can't do that. Because there's no elevating of one over another. I remember the first church I pastored was in a urban setting. And I, I, it would be very common on a Sunday for a man to, that is homeless to come off the street and sit right next to someone who was a judge. Or someone who was a uh, successful business owner. And there was no issue there. Because everyone knew, man, we're all saved by grace. We're all sinners. Uh, we all desperately need the grace of God. There's no one better than another. And that's what Paul was trying to get them to. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ should be the most inclusive group on the planet right? Because it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, your ethnicity, your gender, it doesn't matter any of these things that this world tries to separate us on. It doesn't matter those things. Man, if you have, have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've humbled yourself, you've cried out to God for forgiveness, you're a part of the body of Christ, you're seeking to live a holy life for him, then you're in the family. And there's not that one better than another. We're all sinners saved by God's grace. Now, you're not going to see a lot of people around here uh, saying uh, in the hallway, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. And I'm definitely, definitely better than you. All right. You're not going to see a whole lot of that. You know, Bible up in the armpit. Better, 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 better. Yep. But listen, you can say it in your mind, right? You can say it in your attitude. If you're like, well, I've been here longer. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. And, and, and I don't show deference. I don't show humility. I dig my heels in. I demand my way. I, I assert my opinion. It's going to be my way or the highway. And I'm going to let them have it. And that kind of thing. What are you really saying? Um, it's all about me. And that creates division, not only in a church, but in a family, in a business, anywhere you go. That just fosters division. Uh, if you have the fruit of division, uh, be mindful that the root of it is pride. That's why Paul said in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Ask yourself the question, am I choosing to defer to others? Am I choosing to, to step down? Am I, am I choosing to show humility and show grace and extend grace to others? Or am I drawing lines? Am I offering ultimatums? Am I demanding my rights? So that's what was happening in the Corinthian church still happens today. All right. So if we, we're trying to get to a place of unity here, 
It's what God wants. To get to unity, we can never prioritize our preferences over the gospel. Number two, we can never elevate ourselves over anyone else. But here's a third one. Let me show it to you. But you got to go, you got to flip over to chapter three to get it, okay? Flip over to chapter three, verse five. You say, why are we all the way over here in chapter three? Because this whole four chapters is about this problem. He picks it back up in chapter three, verse five. He says, so then what is Apollos? What is Paul? Are, are they servants through whom you believed? And each one has been given a role that God has given. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So then neither one who plants, neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his labor. Remember, he's back to the Paul, Apollos, you know, tribal divisions. And he's like, hey guys, listen, it's all about the gospel. It's about Jesus, not about us. We can't elevate one among the other. This whole thing is just about you jockeying for position. And he said, at the end of the day, here's what he's saying. Guys, who are we anyway? we're not celebrities that you're to rally around. We're just servants. That's it. We're just servants. We're not celebrities. We're just servants. Listen, it's, real it's really destructive when, you, when we start to elevate pastors to a status of celebrity. Let me just step into that for just a minute, all right? It's really destructive when we start to, to pastors begin to think, man, uh, man, this church is really lucky to have me, right? I mean, because look at this, this church is growing because of me. It's because of my uh, communication skills and my keen intellect and my great leadership uh, prowess and, and my ideas and my charisma and, and I'm the one, uh, get me out on the social media, man, get, get me all this going because I'm the one that can make this happen. I'm the secret sauce. I'm the superstar that everything revolves around. And listen, when you get to that point, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go to a very, very rough road very quickly. We've all heard the podcast. We've all seen the Netflix series. And quite frankly, I'm sick of it. It, it, just, it just grieves my heart so deeply to see pastors thinking that they're the reason for the growth. When right here in chapter 6 and in chapter 7, twice he says, I just planted and, and bottles just watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. It's not about us. We're not celebrities. It's what God is doing. Yeah, we have a role. We have a role to be obedient. We have a role to be a servant. We have a role to be faithful with what God's given us. But ultimately, the glory isn't to us. It's to God. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And God is the one that's giving the growth. So be careful. Yes, what do we treat? How do we treat pastors? We should love our pastors. We should honor our pastors. We should respect them for their work. We should follow and emulate their life as long as they're living a godly life. But don't put them on a pedestal. All right? Don't treat them as a celebrity. Uh, treat them, just see them as a faithful steward that's doing their job that will answer to Jesus for how they lived and how they taught and how they led. And you say, well, Craig, okay, that's great. But I thought we were talking about unity and this has absolutely nothing to do with me. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. Because just as pastors can't hop on the pedestal and think it's all about me. 
and that I'm the reason why all this good stuff is happening, you can't do it either. Hey, hey, business leader, don't say, well, it's because of my great intellect and my hard work that everything's up and to the right quarter by quarter in my business and, and I've got this figured out and my great vision and, and I did this and I did that and here, look how successful I am. Hey, do you, what do you have that God has not given you? What do you have that God has not given you? Uh, did, did God not provide that ability for you? Did God not provide resource for you? Did God not even put get the ability in your own life? Hey, give glory to God. You are a servant just like pastors are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with what he has put in your hands. And what is required of a servant is faithfulness. What God is looking for you is faithfulness. Are you taking the things that God has given you and are you stewarding them well and leveraging them for eternal purposes? Because let me remind you that the end of your life, when you take your last breath, what you did for the kingdom is the only thing that will really last. When we put ourselves on the pedestal instead of seeing ourselves as servants, then all kinds of disunity happens. But listen, when we get to a place of saying, man, I'm just a servant. I just want to serve people well. I want to serve God well. I want to elevate myself, put myself over other people, demand my own preferences. Instead, I just want to be a servant and serve the Lord Jesus. That's when unity happens in a church. May God give us that, right? May God give us that attitude. So let's go back to chapter 1, verse 10. This is where we started, chapter 1, verse 10. I want you to look at those two words I told you to circle, all right? The two words were be united. Be united. That's what Jesus wants for us to be united. So it's a good place to stop right now. And number one, uh, let's just thank God for the unity we have in our church. Uh, this is not a perfect church, right? No such thing in the world. But we do have great unity in our church. And I just want you to know how much I love you and I appreciate you. Uh, I, I, go, I talk to pastors all the time across the country. And almost every time I go, I, it, it's, I, I talk to pastors that are literally in tears because of all the division and vitriol that they experience in their churches. And how deeply wounded they are. And... Uh, when, when, when that happens, I come home and I just want to, I just want to gather you up and give you a big hug and a wet kiss and say, uh, man, I just love you guys so much. You know, I'm just so thankful for you. I really am. I'm so thankful for you because you love me well. You love my family well. You love each other well. And uh, I realize what a gift that is. What a treasured gift that is. So it's good for us to stop and just thank God for the unity we have in our church. But it's also a good point to stop and ask yourself the question, am I experiencing disunity in any part of my life? Maybe in my home or maybe at work or maybe in a group or maybe in a, with a neighbor or you know, wherever you are in your school. And if there is how can I apply these things? How can I make sure that the gospel is foremost and not my preferences? How can I make sure I'm not elevating myself and my attitude over another? How can I make sure that I'm assuming the posture of a servant and not putting myself on a pedestal? When we do that, 
we are able to foster and cultivate and protect the unity that God has for us. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. You know, Jesus provided a way for us to have unity. There will never be unity in our world because the little g God of this age, Satan himself, fosters division and hatred and strife. That's what he does best. That's what we see all around us. But Jesus went to a cross and Jesus rose again so that he could take those who are at odds with each other and those who are at odds with God and bring reconciliation and peace and unity. You can't ever get to unity without first getting to Jesus. And we'll never have unity until you have Jesus. So let me ask you, do you know Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith this morning and maybe today you realize you're a sinner and you're far from God. You realize the reason why you don't have unity in your heart and in your life is because you never asked Christ to come into your life and forgive you and reconcile you to God. And maybe today for the first time you realize that you need Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, if if you're here today and you want to pray to receive Christ, you want to repent from your sin, turn to Jesus, follow him. Then with everyone's head bowed, uh, if you want to pray that, just lift up your hand and I will lead you in a prayer right where you're seated to receive Christ. Pastor, pray for me. I, I need the Lord. I need forgiveness. I need to be right with God. Pastor, pray for me. I want to, I want to, I want to be made new again. I want my sin washed away. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Lift up your hand. I won't call you out, but I'll lead you in a prayer right where you are. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. Anybody else? Anybody else? Lift it up. Okay, you can put your hand down. Just right where you're seated, just pray this prayer. The Lord knows your heart. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe... Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash away my sin. Please make me right with you. Lord, I choose to repent and turn from my old ways and I want to follow you, Jesus, with all my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for restoring me. Lord, I I pray for every person in this room today that we would be people of peace. That, Lord, we would do the work of unity and reconciliation. That, Lord, we would have no division among us, but we'd be united in the essentials of the gospel. And that, God, we would walk together in unity. That we'd serve each other well. We'd love each other well. And we would be thankful for the unity that we enjoy because of you, Jesus. Lord, help us to be a people of unity that those outside of our church peer in to see what we're like. They would see a, a family that is unified and a family that loves each other like Jesus loves us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.